This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. Welcome back to the breakfast show on Faith FM. Uh, before we go to the encounter with God, God that Lyle is kindly doing for us, which I'm very thankful for because my knowledge of Daniel chapter 11 is very limited. It's um, heavy, okay? It's it is a hectic. heavy chapter. Pretty hectic. Um, so thank you, Lyle. We yeah, appreciate it. Thanks a million. So before we get to that, we're going to continue with our quiz this morning. Uh, clue number four. Saul attempted to pin me to the wall twice by hurling a spear at me. If you think you know the answer, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or send us a text on 0491-064-664 and we will be sending you Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. Lyle, over to you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to The Breakfast Show. This is Encounter with God. You're with Lyle this morning with our Bible study this week on Daniel chapter 11. And of course, I do want to remind everybody, as I do this hour of the morning, every morning you need to get the Faith FM app. The Faith FM app is by far the best way to listen to Faith FM because you will never lose the signal no matter where you go. And so if we get into our Bible study now... Um, we find that we yesterday got up to Daniel 11 and verse 9, where we had Ptolemy Eurigetes of the south. And of course, we're talking about the king of the north and the king of the south. This is during the Greek Empire. Daniel chapter 11, incredibly complex, incredibly detailed. So a lot of detail in this chapter that we're going to work through. A lot of history, so much history. And does show that God does know exactly what is going on in our world and what will take place in the future. But the king of the south, the king of the north, the Greek Empire is divided. Divided into two, and these two enemies of each other, Greek enemies of each other, they approach each other always, as far as Jerusalem is concerned, by the north or by the south. And so we're moving down in history to, um, oh, so verse 9, we've got uh, Ptolemy Eurigetes of the south, she'll come to Seleucus Callinicus' kingdom and then shall return to his own land. And we learnt yesterday how that he had to, he could have, he could have conquered the entire northern kingdom but he did hear of a rumor in his own land in Egypt in the south that his uh, kingdom was in danger and so he had to go back down there and was not able to complete the conquest of the north. Then we noticed verse 10 so we're picking up from yesterday it says however Seleucius Callinicus, sons Seleucius Serranus and Antiochus the Great shall stir up strife and of course we are Kind of reading this from Lyle's uninspired, expanded version, so I've added in the details of history to make it easy reading if you're following along in your Bible. Seleucius Serranus shall assemble a great multitude of forces, but he doesn't actually get to do anything with those forces because he's poisoned before he can mount an invasion of the south. It seems that hemlock was very common and very popular back in the day, and it seems that a lot of these guys end up being poisoned. No wonder the cupbearer was you know, pretty much the most uh, well-trusted and famous person that any emperor ever had because he was the guy who made sure that you didn't get poisoned. Needless to say, his younger brother, Antiochus the Great, takes the throne. Of course, he's not called Antiochus the Great yet, but we're going to see why he's called Antiochus the Great. 
or as the Latin says, Antiochus Magnus. He shall certainly come and overwhelm. And he does that. He overwhelms the remaining Egyptian forces in the north. So Egypt had maintained a very, very large uh, portion of the northern kingdom. Of course, this is right up through Syria, Persia, modern-day Turkey, etc., up through that entire region. The Bible says he shall pass through until return. And, well, he's going to recapture the fortress of Seleucia from the Egyptians and stir up strife by considering of Egypt. That's exactly what happens. Verse 11, Ptolemy Philippator, the son of Ptolemy Eurogetes, in the Egyptian south, shall be moved with rage and go out and fight with him, with Antiochus the Great in the north, who shall muster a great multitude, but the multitude shall be given into the hand of, his, of Ptolemy Philippator, which is pretty much what happens. This was one of Antiochus the Great's, well, it was his greatest defeat. But the Bible goes on to say in verse 12 that when he has taken away the multitude, his heart will be lifted up. So when he's taken away the multitude of Antiochus the Great, his forces, his heart will be lifted up. And here you've got an opportunity where he really could have stopped Antiochus the Great from ever achieving the name Antiochus the Great because he so soundly defeats Antiochus the Great so convincingly defeats him that once again the Egyptians in the south could have taken the entire north but it's not what happens rather than following up on his military success he will make peace and the reason he does this is that this is the kind of person who would rather make love than war it seems or more specifically he would rather live a party lifestyle than make war he made war because he kind of had to but as soon as it's over Rather than following up on those successes and conquering the entire north, bringing peace to the empire, uniting the empire once again, which he could, he's like, I've got Egypt, it's enough. I don't need the north. Just let's all live in peace with each other. Let's be happy so I can get busy with the activity of partying and lewdness. And he gives himself completely over to that kind of a lifestyle. Of course, the Greeks were famous for it. This was an era when, you know, if you were going to be a man in the Greek era, you had to involve yourself regularly in drinking competitions. It was kind of how it went. And Ptolemy Philippator down in the south, he's pretty much devoted to this kind of a lifestyle. He's not going to show his masculinity on the battlefield. He's going to show his masculinity at the bar. We would say that he's a bit of a loser. But anyway, having been restrained by the Jews. So he's, he's, he's actually heading south from having this great victory. And he comes to Jerusalem. And uh, Jerusalem is now part of his territory. And he is uh, a bit of a tourist. So he goes to the temple. You know, this is one of the wonders of the ancient world. One of the, one of the greatest wonders of the ancient world. And he wants to see inside. And so the priests are giving him a tour. And he's like, well, you know, I can see through the door into the holy place. You know, by standing out in the courtyard. Maybe. Maybe they let him get that close. But then he's like, you know what? I want to go into the most holy place. And the Jews are like, you know what? That's never going to happen. There is no universe that exists where in which that is going to happen because we don't even go in there. Only the high priest and only the high priest goes once a year. And so he's restrained by entering the most holy place. And the Bible says that he will cast down tens of thousands of the Jews. Basically what happens, he goes back to Alexandria, which is this university city, which is full of Jewish people. It's become a major Jewish center. 
And the historians estimate that he killed about 40,000 Jews there. He was upset. He was angry. He's like, well, you know what? We're just going to have a uh, punitive action back in Egypt and we're going to kill a bunch of Jews. And that's pretty much what takes place. The Bible goes on to say in the end of verse 12, it finishes off by saying, he will not prevail for the king of the north. Antiochus the Great of the North, he's coming back. And there's a reason why he has the title the Great. Very few kings have the title the Great. He will return and muster a multitude greater than the former and shall certainly come at the end of some years. Now, of course, what happens in this story is that you would expect that he would be coming after Ptolemy Philippator, who has conquered him in, in the previous battle, and it's okay, it's time to turn the tables a little bit here. But that's not what's happening. You see, Ptolemy Philippator, surprise, surprise, he dies young, just like Alexander. Alexander the Great involved himself in these drinking competitions, uh, demonstrating his masculinity through his drinking. And as a result of that, he dies, dies very young from intemperate living. And the problem with that is that it doesn't give him enough time. He's not old enough to raise an heir. He has an heir, but his heir is only five years old. And he's going to be called Ptolemy Epiphanes. Or Ptolemy, the one who is very small and insignificant. And he's going to take the throne. He's going to have, you know, people to put in place to look after him and to guide him. And Antiochus the Great is going to look down at Egypt, the south, and he's going to, you know what, this is a perfect time to invade. They don't have a strong leader at the helm. They've got a five-year-old kid. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to kill this five-year-old kid and I'm going to take that entire kingdom for, for myself in the south. But then, this is where it gets super interesting. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Then you're going to find another nation quietly arrives on the scene. In fact, at this stage, it's not really a nation. It's just a city. It's just starting to kind of flex its muscles. It's in a distant part of Europe. And it's starting to have a little bit of influence in Asia and Africa. So let's go to verse 14. Now, in those times, many shall rise up against Ptolemy Epiphanes in, in Egypt in the south, including many Egyptians themselves. Philip of Macedon makes an agreement to ally himself with Antiochus the Great and to basically split Egypt between themselves. They kind of decide, you know, which, which parts of the Egyptian empire they're going to have and which white parts they're going to keep. Also, violent men. The Bible describes in the King James Version as the robbers of God's people or people who are violent against God's people. One translation puts it, the breakers of your people will arise. And so we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, okay, was the Jewish nation ever broken? And the answer, of course, is yes. That's why you had a Jewish diaspora. The Jewish people were spread all over the world without a nation of their own for you know, nearly two millennia. So we have to ask ourselves the question, well, who was it that broke them? And the answer is very, very simple. It was the Romans that broke them. It came through in 70 AD. They destroyed the temple. And over the period of the next 50 years or so, they pretty much drive the Jews out of Israel and establish, well... A nation there in Israel that is kind of not Jewish at all, and it remains like that through until about 1948. Coming back to our story, 
Bible speaks about these violent men who are going to break the Jewish people, put in there the Roman Republic, because that's what they are at this point in history. The Roman Republic who shall break your people shall exalt themselves on the international stage by protecting Ptolemy Epiphanes' kingdom in fulfillment of the vision and the alliance against Epiphanes shall fall. So while this is a very distant city, long way away in Europe, they have been quietly growing in power and starting to flex their muscles and now they're in a position where they can flex their muscles for the first time on the international stage and they intervene on behalf of this child. Like to think that they looked across the Mediterranean and saw this kid who was about to be just brutally murdered and his kingdom carved up. And they're like, yeah, you know what? That's just not going to happen. Not on our watch. Nobody does that. That's an act of brutality. I tend to think it was probably a whole lot more political than that. We really don't know, but it, it's certainly going to be something that's going to create somewhat of a, an issue. Anyway, the alliance against Epiphanes shall fall, or the alliance against the king of the south shall fall, the Bible says. So we're moving on to verse 15 now. And so Antiochus, the greater of the north, the king of the north shall come and begin the southern invasion through Palestine. And this is, this is obviously, you know, he comes from the north. He's coming down through Palestine. He's coming to Egypt. And so you've got all of these, you know, this action between Africa and Asia. Uh, he begins it through Palestine. The Romans have turned up and they've sent Scopus and he's acting on behalf of the infant Ptolemy to, you know, to protect this, this infant king. And Antiochus the Great is going to defeat him. Absolutely soundly defeat him. And as a result of that, he flees to the nearest well-fortified city. That's Sidon, modern-day Lebanon, ancient Syria. So we're still a long way from Egypt. This, this, this territory here has kind of been used as a buffer zone. Bible says, and the king of the north will build a siege mound, or Antiochus the Great will build a siege mound, and take the fortified city of Sidon. And so the forces of the south shall not withstand the king of the north, Antiochus the Great. Even Ptolemy Epiphanes shall have no strength to exist. His choice Roman troops not going to be able to resist. But at this particular point, there's a break in the prophecy. And it's kind of how Gabriel does this prophecy. It's interesting because you know, he'll, he'll give some history in relationship to a particular empire or nation. And then another big one will get a mention. And the moment he mentions it, he kind of skips forward. And at this particular point, he kind of skips forward. He's like, you know what? Um, we're going to skip forward in time. Let's talk about the Roman Empire now. He did this with the Persian Empire. He talked about the first four kings of the Persian Empire. He just skipped forward and he mentioned the Greeks. They're going to stir up the Greeks. And he's like, well, while we're talking about the Greeks, let's move ahead and talk about the Greeks. And he skips over, you know, nine Persian rulers. And here we, we skip over a bunch of uh, Greek rulers. We're going to come back and talk about them a little bit further in the, in the prophecy. But for now, let's mention the Romans who came against Antiochus the Great. They shall, the Bible says in verse 16, they shall ultimately do according to their own will. And no one will stand against them. That's what is going to happen. This, this Roman Republic that has sort of come from nowhere. And it's like, who are you? Roman who? They're kind of known as. From, from where? But they've, they've fought this battle, you know, flexed their muscles on the international stage. They've lost badly. But that's not going to stay that way because in the future, well, we know the history. We know that Rome is going to crush the Greek Empire and every other empire that stands in their way. The Bible says they will do according to their will and no one will stand against them in verse 16. And of course, it's Pompey the Great who conquers all of the northern kingdom in 65 BC. And then, of course, in 63 BC, a year later, the Bible says they stand in the glorious land. They take it by conquest in 63 BC with destruction in their power. And the Jews at this particular time, they were a little bit divided as to whether they would cast their lot in with the Greeks 
or with the Romans who were rising to power. If they had read their future or read their prophecy, I think they would have been wise to have sided with the Romans, but they become bitter enemies of the Romans, and the Romans rule over the Jews for the next hundred years or so, but it's going to be a very frictious relationship the entire time. There's not going to be any peace that happens during this period. And so we move on to verse 17. The Bible says in verse 17, the Romans shall also set their face. This is where they enter the world stage with strength of their whole kingdom. You know, take the south, you know, take Egypt conquering the entire Hellenic world. And then upright persons, Jewish people. God's people here are the glorious land, are the upright people, your people they're called. What's going to happen is that Julius Caesar is going to head down to the south. And uh, you've got this this situation where the southern ruler has died and he's left the throne to both of his children, to his son and to his daughter. Well, you know that's never going to go well for anybody. And it certainly doesn't go well. And so because they've had this alliance with Rome, Rome is kind of placed there in a position of adjudicating how this will go down. And so Julius Caesar goes down there and he assumes I'm, I'm the one who has sort of been placed in position here. He assumes this title of, of making sure that everything takes takes place properly here. And Cleopatra is down there and she's afraid that things are not going to go her way. And so history tells how that she managed to get herself rolled up into a carpet, carried into the palace where Julius Caesar was staying. When he unrolls the carpet, then there she is and she's able to seduce him and get a favourable decision. She's able to maintain power through seduction. It seems that she was quite adept at this art we're going to find as we move on through the prophecy. But we're going to take a song break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk more about what actually happens with Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, her brother, and so forth.
To Faith FM, you with Gemma and Liam this morning. Yes. Uh, we will be going back to Lyle in just a moment. Um, he's I actually right now he's in Kingscliff helping to run a Daniel series um, for the Arise students. Super so exciting! So shout out to Lyle and the the whole crew out there. But moving on with our quiz this morning, clue number five. I wrote the twenty third Psalm. If you think you know the answer. If you think you know the person who wrote the 23rd Ooh, Psalm... That was a good clue. Give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or send us a text at 0491-064-669. If you have the correct answer, we will be sending you uh, Acts of the Apostles. Lyle, over to you. Coming back to verse 17 into verse 17, you know, the Bible says, And thus you shall give himself Cleopatra, the Egyptian princess, reading between the lines here, to destroy it. But she shall not stand with him or before him. Well, we know well the history of Cleopatra, particularly if you've studied any ancient history. It's a very, very famous story. And so we move on to verse 18. After this, Julius Caesar, putting his name in there, shall turn his face to the coastland the Bible says. And this is interesting because he's down there in the south. He's adjudicating this whole affair with Cleopatra and he has a very small force of Romans with him. The Egyptians could destroy him in a heartbeat and on a number of occasions it looks like that he's they're going to. Basically locks himself in the palace 
with his, basically his uh, personal guard, calls in the Roman legions from other parts of the empire. And we talked about the righteous persons or the Jewish people who uh, actually support Julius Caesar during this time period. And they keep the Palestinian passes open to let the relief force come through. And as soon as Julius Caesar has got, you know, Egypt settled, well, he thinks it's settled. We're going to find out that it's far from settled. It's going to be a thorn in his side for a long time to come yet. But as soon as he kind of thinks that, you know, I, things in Egypt, they've settled down. He then heads out to put down some other rebellions that have sprung up. And these focus on a region of Asia Minor and the Black Sea. This is the Bosphoran kingdom of Pharnaces II. And he really rules this region. So the Bible says, after this, Julius Caesar shall turn his face to the coastlands of Asia Minor and the Black Sea, and she'll take it by conquering uh, Pharnaces, the second ruler of the Bosphoran kingdom. We're once again reading between the lines here. But a ruler shall bring the reproach against them to an end, and with the reproach removed, he shall turn back on him. And basically what happens up there in the north is that Julius Caesar really convincingly wins. After, oh, this is, this is another way of reading it. This is uh, from the ASV. And if you read it in the ASV, it kind of reads like this. After Julius Caesar shall turn his face to the coastlands of Asia Minor and the Black Sea. And once again, this is the Lyle Southwell expanding expansion and capture many of them by conquering Phineas, the second ruler of the Bosphoran kingdom. This is where he will arrogantly claim, I came, I saw, I conquered. And basically what happens is when these two meet on the battlefield. Typically what happens in those days is that, you know, armies would take a long time to approach each other. The soldiers are moving on foot. They're moving very slowly. They can only move at the speed of walking soldiers. And pretty much the slowest walking soldier is the speed that the army is going to move at. And so when they arrive on a battlefield, both armies, you know, really typically are going to take some time to rest, to position themselves. These are what you call set peace battles where you look for an open area in which you can maneuver and the battles are won by maneuvering and outmaneuvering your opponent on the battlefield it all really comes down to you know really being able to maneuver well in a set piece battle and so you know they, they it would not be uncommon in those days for them to take several days to set up the set up the pieces so to speak think about playing a war game at this particular point and you've you've got it straight spread out on your dining room table and you're going to set up all the pieces before you begin to play and this is kind of how they would do it back in the day they would they would set up all the pieces so that they had the right troops in the right places cavalry out on your flanks you'd have your archers come forward you'd put your heavy infantry behind them you'd get your shield walls in place you'd be giving out instructions so that everybody knows what to do so that they don't get confused on the battlefield and it's kind of how battles and then you know in a couple of days they would be ready to fight and so then they would kind of yell at each other for a couple of hours build up their courage and go to it julius caesar arrives on the battlefield he's marching towards this boss for an army he sees this boss for an army Basically, just keeps marching, marches straight into the Bosphoran army. They're kind of caught by surprise because they're not—they're expecting to have the opportunity to, you know, stop and do what do what you're supposed to do. There was kind of rules that were followed back in the day. This was how war was done, and you know, you follow the Geneva Convention of the day. Well, the Geneva Convention doesn't happen this time because Julius Caesar—he just keeps marching. He marches straight into this Bosphoran army with his army. And both armies are somewhat disorganized, but in that kind of an environment pretty much 
what is going to win the day is morale and the Roman legions have very, very high morale. Julius Caesar has this almost... He almost has this magical quality about him that when he walks into the army, his presence just inspires them. You know, you're dealing with a general who's basically never lost a battle. He's had some very close calls and he continues to have a bunch of close calls throughout his career. But, you know, it was said that Napoleon, when he came into the army, was worth 40,000 men. And Napoleon himself said that morale was worth three times more than equipment on the battlefield. You know, you've got this famous story of Napoleon when he's first conquered and he's sent out to uh, that island down near there, Italy, wherever it was. And, you know, eventually he escapes and he comes back and he's, he's basically got a couple of hundred men with him and he's marching towards Paris and the French are like, well, this won't do. And so they send out a small army to stop him. They only need a small army to stop him because, you know, he's only got a couple of hundred men with him. He's, he's got no power at all. He meets this small army who's come to recapture him and you know put him back in prison where he belongs and he just goes forward by himself and he meets with us. these are men who have fought under him in the past and have been victorious under him as a general in the past and he says what will you do? will you kill your emperor and of course they just go wild with excitement they turn they change sides and napoleon he's back and he's you know more dangerous than ever is more thanosish than he's ever been before and Caesar was like that. He says, I came, I saw, I conquered. He's very arrogant as well. Caesar is like one of the most arrogant people of ancient past. The Bible says, but in the future, a future commander is going to put an end to his insolence. Indeed, his insolence, this is the ASV that, American Standard Version I'm reading from here. His insolence shall turn, shall turn, he indeed he shall turn his insolence back upon him. And the next verse goes on. He will turn his face toward Rome and the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and not be found. And we know exactly what happened because Julius Caesar does go back to Rome. And there, one of his commanders, a man by the name of Brutus, stirs up a conspiracy against him. And he is assassinated on the Senate floor. He dies being stabbed in the back. It's interesting how the Bible describes that. You know, a commander shall put an end to his insolence, his arrogance. Indeed, his arrogance will turn back upon him. He goes back to his home in verse 19, the fortress of his own land, where he stumbles and falls, and is not found. You've know, got one of the greatest generals of the ancient world, one of the greatest emperors, but a man of incredible arrogance. And it all comes to an end. You know, it kind of reminds you of Lucifer, Satan, who comes against Jesus Christ with great, you know, with tremendous arrogance. But the Bible says that Satan's going to come to his end one day. He's going to stumble and fall, and he won't be found. And what a day that is to look forward to. A day when Jesus returns, when sin and sinners no longer exist, when Satan is 
completely God and is rid from the empire of Jesus Christ. Free at last. Let's be all looking forward to that day as we go through this day. Soon we'll be done with the troubles of the world. Going to live with God. No more. No more weeping and wailing. No more. No more weeping and wailing. No more. No more weeping and wailing. Going to live with God. Troublesome times are here. Chasing rod, seek the way pilgrims trod. Christians away. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Well, many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound, will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous meet in the sky. Oh, going where no one dies, heavenward
Forgiveness. It's easier said than done. But now there's a new approach to help us be more forgiving, a program called Forgive to Live. It's designed to help us all improve our lives. You'll discover the healing power of forgiveness, a relationship breakdown, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. Through Forgive to Live, you can break this cycle and start living a more forgiving life. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Can you survive in the bush? Are you in touch with the God of nature? Are you learning the skills you need for a successful life? Grafton Pathfinder Club can help. With a Christian foundation, our Pathfinders enjoy camping out in the most amazing locations. Paddle a canoe, hike up a mountain, abseil down a cliff, tie knots and lashings. Follow a map to the treasure. Use your survival skills in the bush. Earn some honours from a large list of pursuits. Make friends that you'll keep for a lifetime. Our hall meetings in South Grafton are on the first Saturday of each month from 2pm to 4pm. We're inviting young children aged between 10 and 16 to join us on our next adventure. Send us an email now at graftonpathfinders at gmail.com or find us on Facebook under Grafton Pathfinder Club. We're empowering youth for a resilient future. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood This is my story, this is my song Praising my Savior all the day long This is my story, this is my song Sing my Savior all the day long. Visions of a rapture now burst at my side. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Angels descending, bring from above. of mercy whispers of love this is my story this is my song raising my savior all the day long and this is my 
watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Raising my Welcome back to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM with Gemma and Liam. It has come time in the, time in the show where we do our question of the day. You. We've got a bit of a doozy for, one, for you today, but if you have some questions at home that you would like to send in for us to answer here, um, then play, by all means, we ask that you do send them in. Uh, give us a call at 1-800-324-843. Send us a text at 0491 uh, Now, our last clue for today, for the, for the quiz today, who am I? I am David, Moses, or Mark. If you think you know the answer, give us a call at 1-800-324-843. 1-800-FAITH-FM or send us a text at 0491 This book could be yours. You've got a 33% chance of getting the answer right, so you've got nothing to lose by giving us a call or sending us a text. And remind them what quiz, what prize for the quiz is today. It is Acts of the, Pos- of the Apostles from the Conflict of Ages series Fantastic by book. Ellen White. Great book. There we go. Awesome. So we've been giving away all week Conflict of the Ages series. Indeed. Oh, awesome. That's such a good idea. So that means tomorrow one will be from that series as well. You better believe it. Oh, so exciting, guys. You're going to get your hands on fabulous books, but only if you call or send us a text. That's it. Now, cool. moving on to question of the day. Question we've got for today is, from a Christian perspective or a Christian faith, is it okay to gamble? Is, is gambling okay? Ooh, good question. I so, thought so too. Let's have a look at the Bible, because yep. I feel like that's the only way we're going to answer questions. And that's the only way we should try to answer questions. Indeed. So, uh, first text I want to have a look at is yep. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Okay. That says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. That is, of course, Mm. from the New Living Translation. Mm. So, in regards to gambling, the Bible does not specifically address gambling as itself. Like in the Ten Commandments, you will not find, thou shalt not gamble. However, in the Ten Commandments, you do find another verse which ties very closely, and that is in Exodus chapter 20. Can you pull this verse up? 
for us. So Indeed. the 10th commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and this 10th commandment talks uh, about covetousness. Yep. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Yes. It says, pardon me, uh, where we are, you must not covet your neighbor's house, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Yeah, so we know from the Timothy verse that the love of money is the root of all evil. So um, if you are gambling for the for the purpose of attaining wealth, attaining uh, uh, money, and that that's what um, your heart is after, that that's what you're chasing, the Bible specifically says here about that, that it is the root of all evil. And when it comes to that passage that we just read in Exodus, the Bible talks about covetousness, which is the same kind of thing that your heart um, is lusting after, is wanting after um, other things. You see something that a neighbor, a friend has, and you're like, oh, I want that, you know, that's not that's not right. That's something that we shouldn't be doing. We should yeah. be able to be content with what we have in how God has blessed us with what we have. Um, and yeah, lusting and, and covetousness and, and, and wanting after things that um, yeah, aren't ours is something that we, we mm. shouldn't be doing. Um, but another verse, just to kind of uh, wrap up, this one is a good one. Proverbs chapter 13, yep. verse 11. All right. That one says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, wealth from hard work grows over time. Again, from the New Living Translation. Yeah, so that's a super practical Bible verse there about how, yeah, gambling is another way to get quick, get rich quick. Um, and the Bible says straight there, black and white, very simply put, that that's not the way to do it. Mm. If you're after money, you know, if, if you're wanting after that, we've already said that that is the root of all evil. Um, but we need money to survive, obviously, and the way to do that is hard work. And yeah. God will bless you for your work. That's it. I reckon we answered it pretty good. Although I reckon we could revisit this one day, but Definitely. I think for the we'll time get Lyle's being, perspective on yeah, this too. for the time being, I think we have done a very good job. Coming up next, though, we have got Keith and Christy Getty with Ophir, A Closer Walk with Oh Four, A Closer Walk with God. Sorry. Oh for a closer walk with God. Come and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road leading to the Lamb. Where is that blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul refreshing view of Jesus and His Word?
shall my walk be close with God? Can answer in my fray, so purer light shall mark the road that leads me to the land. Welcome back to Faith FM. We have had an absolute blast on the show this morning. Another cracking show. It has been so good. Indeed. So, we have something to give away. This is my favourite part of the show. Mm-hmm. Favourite part of the show. We have something free. Something free for one of you That's lucky the people one. out there. What are we giving away today? This morning, we have got Life Without Limits, the deluxe edition Ooh. by Clifford Gold. Goldstein. Nice. Now, this book is about powerful truths for your journey to hope and meaning. Oh, fantastic. I've actually read some of his other books. He's a really good author. Fantastic book. So, if you want a copy of this book totally for free, you just give us a call 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843 or send us a text 0491-064-669 and that book will be totally yours for free. Just by calling up. Just by calling up. Easy as that. The first caller through will get that book. So, get uh, get typing and calling away. And, yeah. Our prize is still up for grabs. We're it out of indeed. clues. We've given you all the clues we could possibly give you, but the prize is still up for grabs. So, if you know what the answer for that is, you can give us a call for that as well. We're not going to give you any more clues, but it's still there. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow. Indeed. Both of us. It's going to be fun. Another we'll cracking show. Back at it again tomorrow. That's it. So we didn't Another. invite Lawson back yesterday, but we're inviting Gemma back tomorrow. So, But I'll be back tomorrow. So that'll be great. That'll be tons of fun. I know. Oh, awesome. What a show. <laughs> time to be alive. That's all from us, though. Yeah. Don't forget to talk faith. Live faith. Act faith. And you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Bye for now. And t-
Thanks for being part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch on 1-800-FAITH-FM. Yeah. 